Calling all detectives. A murdered man, a wire recorder that didn't record, and a shoe full of diamonds. These are the exhibits on this page from my casebook. The casebook of Jerry Browning, private detective. You don't have to be a mind reader to be a private detective like me, Jerry Browning, but it certainly helps. The office of Chet Pearson, private detective, might have been my office. The same battered desk, a telephone, a big steel filing cabinet, a couple of straight-back chairs. There was only one difference. In this office, Chet Pearson lay slumped across the desk. He'd been shot four times through the heart. Lieutenant Dawson of Homicide walked over to me. I'm taking that filing cabinet over to headquarters, Jerry. Check through all of Pearson's cases for possible lead. I nodded. I suppose you have to. But I don't think you'll find anything, Dawson. The cabinet was unlocked. Nothing in it looks disturbed. Dawson seemed inclined to agree, but just the same. Couple of you men, pick up that file cabinet. Easy. It's heavy. Two cops started walking the cabinet across the floor. As they did, something wedged between the cabinet and the wall fell clattering to the floor. Dawson pounced on it, then turned to me. A spool of wire. Know anything about this, Jerry? I took the spool, examined it. Chet was a radio amateur, had his own shortwave call letters, made a lot of his own equipment. I turned the spool over in my hand. Dawson, you suppose this could be from a wire recorder? Because if it is, there may be voices on it. Even the voice of Pearson's killer. In the office of a murdered private detective who was also a radio amateur, we found a spool of wire that looked as though it might be the kind of wire in which voices can be recorded. At the police laboratory... The lab technician took the wire spool, threaded it into the machine. I don't think the stuff is recording wire. Too thin. Well, try it anyway. I watched as the technician uncoiled the snapped wire from the machine. Pearson must have used this wire to wind coils. Certainly didn't record voice on it. And that was the end of a potential clue. I picked up the spool. Mind if I take this? Go ahead. It's worthless to us. With a wire in my pocket, I went on back to my office, sat down at my own battered desk, stared at my own filing cabinet and straight-back chairs. Not much to show for ten years of risking your life. But then I never knew an honest private detective who got rich from his work. Chet Pearson was honest. And at the end of the road, all he got was four slugs in his heart. As payment in full. That and a little short wave station that he'd mostly built himself. An idea stirred at the back of my head. Hello, Chronicle. I want to place a classified ad under personals. Well, I'll read it to you. Jerry Browning, private detective, announces that he has taken over the practice of Chet Pearson, deceased. Confidential investigations. Conversations recorded with latest electronic equipment as perfected by Pearson. Put on my name and address, substitute it for my regular ad until canceled. The clerk in the radio parts store thought I was crazy. A portable recording set strapped around your body? Well, sure, it could be done, but 
with batteries that weigh over 50 pounds and it looked like a radio set with shoes. Two hours later, I had a lapel microphone with wires leading from it to an arrangement of coils and miniature batteries strapped around my waist. Best of all was a little housing containing a tiny spool of recording wire that wound from one reel onto another when I pressed a button in my pocket. You understand it's not doing anything, just winding from one side to the other. That dough guys will spend just for a laugh. When I got back to my office, I had a conversation with Dawson and warned him about my ad. Then I waited. The ad got almost immediate results. People for whom Pearson had worked and who assumed I'd made some sort of arrangement with his heirs to buy his practice. I stalled all offers of cases until Jonathan T. Olcott arrived. He was tall, suave, and bulged suspiciously in the vicinity of his left armpit. Mr. Browning, I'm a dealer in precious stones, and my business is of such a nature that I occasionally require a proof of certain conversations. I leaned back in my chair. I know all about you, Mr. Olcott. Pearson left a spool with part of a conversation you had with him recorded on it. I eased my jacket open, let Olcott look at the apparatus. See that wire turning? It's recording our conversation through this lapel microphone, just like Pearson always did with his visitors. Olcott's hand slipped inside his jacket and came out with a revolver. I ignored it. In fact, I laughed right out loud. <laughs> Wait a second till I disconnect this thing and get it off. Removed the belt from around my waist, tossed it on my desk. <sighs> That's better. I looked up at Olcott. And don't you think you better put that gun away? After all, the other spool isn't here. I've got that one in a vault. Olcott hesitated, lowered the gun. You're sure that thing is disconnected? I nodded, showed him that the wire wasn't turning anymore. You can talk freely now, but you'd better talk money. Olcott smiled with approval. I like this smart man. And you're what? If Pearson had been smart, he'd still be alive. He slipped the gun back into its holster. I won't make any offer for the wire. But you can work with me. I frowned. I need money fast. This stuff was expensive. You'll make ten grand on the first job. The Mokamba Queen is docking tomorrow. Two sailors are carrying twenty uncut diamonds in false linings of their shoes. They'll have shore leave about ten-thirty. We'll be waiting for them. I got up, sauntered around the desk. We sure will. <coughs> Two cops walked in, strode over to Walcott, yanked him to his feet, snapped handcuffs over his wrists. So he fell for the old dictograph trick, a smart hijacker like that. I glanced at the junk on my desk. Just goes to prove that an old trick can always be given a new twist and brought up to date. Okay, take him away. The two sailors from the Mokamba Queen were met as they came ashore, not by hijackers, but a police squad that arrested them and confiscated their smuggled gems. At that, the men were lucky. They might have met Olcott and fared much worse. That's what Olcott was, a crook who preyed on other crooks, a hijacker of smuggled stones. Pearson had been investigating the murder of a seaman for a steamship line that was his client, and he ran across Olcott's trail. Olcott tried to buy him off, and when that failed used simpler means to shut Pearson's mouth. Like I said, in this detective business, it isn't what you know that counts, but what the other fellow thinks you know. Listen next time to Calling All Detectives, Mystery Drama, Mystery Quiz, and a chance for you to match wits with yours truly, Jerry Browning, Private Detective. 